The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 1, verses 46 through 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked down on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Thus says the word of the Lord. Check, check. Now you can hear me. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, Today we're going to be continuing our series uh, called Glory. And today we're going to be talking about uh, glory in lowliness, glory uh, and being brought low. Uh, but before we go any further into that, let's pray. Uh, Father God, we come to you uh, in your mighty son's Jesus' name, God. Uh, we come rejoicing in this Advent season, Father God, tr- trusting that you are coming to us one day, Father God, again. Uh, Lord, we, we wait with expectancy uh, that uh, you haven't forgotten about us, uh, Father God, and that One day again, we'll get to see you face to face on this earth. I pray that you would move me uh, out of the way. I pray that you would uh, bless the preaching of your word, uh, Father God, and move me as far out of the way as possible so that you can speak to your people uh, on this morning. Uh, It's in your mighty son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, March 27th, uh, 1991, in Brooklyn, New York, uh, two maintenance men were on work, on duty, for business as usual that morning. They were maintenance men, and they were getting ready uh, to dispose of the trash uh, on that morning. And the way that they disposed of the trash uh, was by using a trash compactor. And if anybody knows how a trash compactor works, is the way that it works is people throw their trash uh, down a chute, uh, and then the trash is compacted, and then you dispose of it, all right? And so they were just about to hit that button uh, that morning uh, to turn on the trash compactor when they heard a baby's voice crying and coming from within the trash. They heard that baby's voice crying, and, and they were alarmed just like any of us would be uh, after they heard that baby's voice coming from the trash. So what they did was call the police uh, on that morning immediately. Uh, Well, the the police show up on the scene, and sure enough, they stick a flashlight down there, and they see a baby lying on top of the trash. Uh, They see his feet uh, sticking out from under the newspaper, and so they did what they had to do to get in there and get him out. Uh, They took him to the hospital, 
Uh, he was uh, treated for hypothermia, but he was alive, uh, full intact, uh, umbilical cord attached and everything. He was still alive. And so uh, the first question that anybody's going to ask, though, is who was the mother? Uh, who, who would do something like that? Uh, where are they? What, what just happened with all of this? And sure enough, after some good detective work, uh, they found out that the mother of this baby uh, was a 12-year-old girl who went to a nearby junior high school. And so they went into uh, the classroom that morning, the detectives did, and they pulled uh, the young lady out of class. And sure enough, uh, she denied it initially. Uh, she was afraid, of course. Uh, and then they took her to the hospital, and the doctors confirmed that she had just given birth that morning. All right, and she went on to confess that, yes, she did uh, give birth that morning uh, on the fourth floor uh, of her apartment and dropped the baby some four floors down the trash chute uh, and went to class that morning. Who, who saw her? Who knew about this? That's the question you ask next. Like, who, how is that possible for a girl to go uh, nine months without anyone uh, seeing her? And so the investigators talked with her mom. Her mom said, I don't know. I work nights. I work overnight. I didn't know anything. I didn't see anything. They talked with the neighbors in the community. The community said, we didn't know. We didn't, we didn't see anything. No one knew. Uh, no one heard. Which means that even worse, man, no one cared. No one knew. No one saw. No one cared. And sometimes that's the plight of those who are brought low in our society that no one sees. And, and, and that's the fear of being brought low, that fear of being under, under the table that no one sees. And so that was the plight of this 12-year-old girl, 12, I mean, nine months unseen. Brenda's little belly's getting bigger, but no one seems to notice any change in her figure. That's the lyrics of Tupac Shakur, <laughs> who after he read that story about this young lady, would go on to write a song that was famously called, Brenda's Got a Baby. And when people asked him, why would you write a song about something so graphic, about something uh, like that? That's not the stuff that sells records, that goes number one on the charts. And he said uh, that, uh, I want to use my influence to bring attention to those that are low, and forgotten by the world. I want to use my influence so you can see those that are low, and so I'm going to use my opportunity that I have to, to put a magnifying glass over their life, over their life, because girls like Brenda get forgotten about all the time. And so if you're familiar with hip-hop, that's what hip-hop was originally supposed to do, was to put a magnifying glass over the low in the inner city and so that the world could see it uh, and do something about it. As we come to our text today, though, I can't help but see a parallel between what Tupac was attempting to do with the song Brenda's Got a Baby and what Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, is doing in his gospel. See, there's a distinctive in the Gospel of Luke. There's something that stands out from Luke from the rest of the uh, gospel writers from Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, uh, and John. Luke stands out in that Luke puts a hyper-emphasis on those that are considered lowly and marginalized uh, in the world. And so, so within the book of Luke, you see a lot more stories about the poor. Uh, you see pictures of Jesus uh, healing the sick, uh, making those who are crippled walk again. 
you, you see uh, more emphasis on women in Luke. God is using women a, a lot more. You see in the book of Luke in which women were a marginalized group uh, in that day. So you see uh, Luke putting a magnifying glass uh, over the life of, of those who were lowly. Uh, this lowly group of people, those who are dependent on God for everything. In the he- Hebrew scriptures, there was a word uh, for the lowly ones called the anawim, the lowly ones. Those who are dependent on God for everything. And what Luke is doing in his gospels, he's putting that magnifying glass, that spotlight on them uh, so uh, that people could see them. Um, what's more important about Luke, uh, Luke didn't just write his gospel to a general crowd. He wrote his gospel to a man by the name of Theophilus. All right. And Theophilus uh, wasn't a, a, a man of lowly estate. He was a Roman official. All right. And so he was a man of high status. And what I believe that Luke is saying is, hey, Theophilus, I know you're up there, but God cares about the people down here. I know you're up there, Theophilus, but I'm writing this to you and showing you these accounts of how Jesus loves and engages and cares about the poor. Because I want you to know that God cares about the lowly ones. He cares about those that, who have been brought low by life. And not just the materially poor. That's not what he's just getting at. Not just the materially poor, but those who have been brought low. Those who are broken hearted. God cares about those people. I love Tupac. Tupac wasn't inspired by God. His lyrics aren't inspired by God. Luke was inspired by God, which leads me to believe this. Uh, God wrote through Luke so he can show us that he cares about the lowly ones. I believe what God is telling us is that he is with those who are low. He says, I am with the poor. I'm with those who are dying from cancer. I'm with those who have lost loved ones. I'm with those who can't pay their light bills. I'm with those who are struggling with addictions. I'm with those who feel overwhelmed as parents. I'm with those who are brokenhearted because it's the holidays. I'm with those who have been cheated and treated unfairly by life. He said, I'm with those who are dependent on me from everything. I'm with those who are brought low. And I believe that's why he's exposing us to so much brokenness and so much lowliness within this book of Luke. God wants you to know that he sees you when you are low. He sees you. He looks low. He's not too far up there to, to, to spend some time and to put his eyes on you. He sees you, which leads us to our first point today. God looks upon the lowly. He looks upon the lowly ones. In Luke chapter 46 uh, through 56, which we just read, we read a piece of scripture called Mary's Magnificat or Mary's Song of Praise. Uh, where she sings and rejoices to the Lord uh, in this state that she's in, in the song that we just read. She's singing and rejoicing and praising the Lord. And she's in the company of her cousin Elizabeth and they're they're singing and they're rejoicing and they're praising the Lord together. And you can't help but ask, why is this poor girl singing? What's she got to be so happy about? Why, Why is she so happy? Why is she singing? Uh, Verse 46 says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I just want to put a big magnifying glass over the name of Jesus and make his name big. That's what Mary is saying. And so why, why is she doing this? Why is this 
poor girl who, who, who isn't even married yet and having to deal with this baby. Why is she so happy? Why is this marginalized child uh, so happy? Why is she rejoices? I think we get our answer uh, in verse 48, which says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For he has looked. For he has looked. He has regarded. He has considered the humble estate of his servant. One of the hardest parts of being brought low is feeling like no one sees you. One of the hardest parts of suffering is to feel unseen. Uh, Sometimes our pain can feel so tailored and so specific to our lives that we feel like that there's no way possible that anyone could get us or understand us. And that's what can feel so painful at times. We can even feel like that God himself doesn't even see us in our suffering. That uh, became a reality uh, for me uh, in Ashley last uh, summer. Uh, I saw this played out in real life. We were taking a walk uh, downtown, uh, heading to a Redbirds game. and uh, We were moving fast. I was walking with a purpose. I was trying to get to that game. Uh, I needed to stop at the ATM before I got there, and so I really wasn't ready to stop and talk to nobody. You know what I mean? When you're walking with a purpose, moving fast. Well, we had to stop at a, at a red light, uh, and sure enough, when we stopped at that red light, I was approached uh, by a homeless gentleman who, who asked me uh, for some cash. True enough, I said, I don't have any cash, uh, and, and I got to get going, so I'm sorry I can't help you. Well, he was persistent. He didn't give up. <laughs> he kept going, and so while I'm walking away, trying to get away, he's still following me, bargaining with me. Hey, man, hey, man, let me go with you to the ATM, let, let me get some cash. I'm like... And so soon I stopped looking at him. <laughs> I kept looking forward and he was talking and I was, I was choosing not to see him uh, at that moment uh, for about a block. And what happens next is uh, he begins to call me every curse word under the sun. He begins to go off. He gets mad. He gets upset. He's yelling. He's yelling. Uh, he, he's cursing at me, and I'm like, oh my God, this is, ba- this is embarrassing. I am straight up on the spot right now. People are looking. Uh, and so I, I, I'm walking, and, I get, and we eventually walk away, and you can still hear the F-bombs bursting uh, behind us. And, and, and so um, eventually, once I get a, a good enough distance away, I feel like the Holy Spirit convicts me, though. Uh, and I feel like the Lord was saying to me, uh, the reason why he was so mad isn't because you didn't give him any money. The reason why he got so mad and upset is that you chose not to see him. You willingly ignored him. You you, you disregarded him. And and you you treated him like he was less than made in the image of God. To see a person in need and to ignore them is to treat them like they're less than made in the image of God. And it's something within us that, that hurts so bad when we feel unseen. And so from here on out, when I'm downtown and I see someone and I don't have the cash, I look them dead in the eye and say, brother, I don't got it if I don't got it. Because <laughs> I think it hurts. That's what hurts most. It's not that I'm, that I'm not giving them anything, but it's the fact that I, I, at that moment I didn't treat him like he was made in the image of God. I didn't see him. He was hurting and desiring uh, to be seen. Um, we can feel like that uh, sometimes with God. And maybe you, you've been there 
Or you're like, hey, God, do you see me? Do you see me? I'm hurting. I'm hurting. Do you see me? And you feel like you're chasing God. Do you see me? I'm hurting. I'm hurting. Do you see me? Oh, my God, are you weak or something? Do you not have enough power? Do you not see me? Do you see me? And, and we can get like that man. That you, can get ups, you can get upset. You can get frustrated. You're like, okay, you don't see me? You're not good. You don't see me? I'm mad at you now, God. Do you see me? Do you see what I'm going through? That's how I can feel sometimes. We can feel unseen. God can feel so quiet and we can feel like the pain is so tailored and specific to our life that we feel like no one get it gets it say something is what we what we, what we want to say to god we want to say say something do something about it this this was the condition of mary and the jews god hadn't spoken in 400 years he, he hadn't spoken through one of his prophets in 400 years. So in many ways, God seemed very quiet and removed from the day-to-day experiences of our lives. And so this is why Mary is rejoicing now. This is why she's so happy. God is speaking. God is doing something. He hasn't forgotten us. My soul magnifies the Lord. I rejoice in my Savior. God sees us, guys. And more enough, God sees me, this poor teenage girl from the wrong sides of the track. He could have chosen anybody else. He could have chose to bring the Savior through any other situation. He could have chose us a steady two-parent home on a nice side of town. But instead, he chooses me, this poor uh, teenage girl. And that's why Mary is rejoicing. God looks upon the lowly. And we can rejoice with Mary because that promise is, is for us too. God looks upon the lowly. God sees you. And just because he's quiet, it doesn't mean that he's not working in your life. Just because he's quiet, it doesn't mean that he's cold or that he's cruel or that he doesn't care. He he sees you. He sees you. There's glory in the low places because God looks upon the lowly. You probably say, and I hear you, Terrence. God sees me. But is he going to do anything? He sees me. He saw Mary. But, but is he going to do anything? And the question, uh, the answer to that question is yes. He's not just a God who sees, but he's a God who does. Yes. He's not just a God who sees, but a God who does. That's why Mary is happy. Verse 49 says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Says, for he who is mighty. She's talking about the character of God here. Uh, this is, Mary is, is very astute on the scriptures. Uh, she, she knows, and she knows who God is. Let's just put it like that. And she knows her God is mighty. So she's heard about the stories of God rescuing the people. Uh, and she's heard about God coming through for the people who were, who were brought low. So she's reflecting on the fact that God is mighty. For he who is mighty, she's reflecting on the strength of God, the power of God. Now she, she grew up learning about the God who parted the Red Sea, who struck down Pharaoh, the God who was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, the God who was with David. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Once again, reflecting on his character, this God is holy. He's set apart from humanity. He's in a category of his own. She remembered growing up hearing about how people couldn't even see this God. Uh, people couldn't even be in his presence or they would fall dead. This is the God 
who has done great things for me. Because of who God is, Mary uh, is rejoicing. And she knows, once again, he could have chose anybody, but he chose her. And oftentimes, that's how God does it. This is that great reversal. Uh, he shows up in the lives of those who are low. He shows up in the lives of, of the humble, and he does great things for them. He raises up the lowly ones, but the flip side of that coin is he brings down the proud. He, he raises up the humble, but he brings down the low. In James 4, 6, uh, this is made real clear to us in the word. James 4, 6 says, uh, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So God isn't um, neutral towards pride. All right? he, he's 100% against it. He, he's not playing the middle ground. If you want to be opposed to God, uh, be, be proud. All right? uh, uh, John Bunyan says it like this. He says, pride makes a man so odious in the sight of God that he cannot must not come near him. Pride will not let a man come near God, and God will not let a prideful man come near him. See, pride is like a person uh, who puts on too much cologne. Uh, when, when I was, when I was uh, uh, back in middle school, I used to like to put on quite a bit of cologne uh, to impress people. I brought some today. I like to put on a little bit of cologne, like too much cologne. And I, I spread and, I, and, I, and I'd bathe in the stuff. And it'd be so strong, the strong stuff, like all in your nostrils. Uh, my mama didn't even want to hug me. All right, that's how, how, how strong it was. And she'd say, if you're going to get close to me, you got to take that stuff off. It's too strong. It's too much. And so the very thing that I thought that I was going to use to draw people to me, it was repelling people from me. And that's what God is saying. Pride is like that. It repulses God and turns his stomach. And before we come in his presence, God is like, uh-uh. You got to wash that stuff off before you come near me. Quite often, though, what ends up happening is that God goes about the business of humbling us and getting it off of us, his, his self. And Mary sings a song about this. She sings a song about how God humbles the proud. This great reversal. That's what he does. He does not play about the pride thing. Verses uh, 51 through 53, uh, she, she talks about this. She says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. All right? That reversal. He's bringing down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. There goes that great reversal. That's how God works. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away. That's how he works. He does not play about the pride thing. Uh, throughout, throughout history, God has brought down uh, men who considered themselves self-made. He's brought down uh, people who thought that they were great in their own strength. He, he's brought down people... Uh, who gave themselves credit for all of the good things in their life. Uh, one of those men uh, that Mary is potentially alluding to in her song uh, is King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he was one of those men. Uh, he was the king of Babylon, and he, was, he had this big kingdom, and he considered himself strong. 
uh, and mighty. Uh, this is what King Nebuchadnezzar had to say about himself. He says, uh, is not this great Babylon, uh, look, at, look at this great Babylon, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. He's just taking one big selfie saying, look at me, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look at my kingdom. Look at my power. Look at my majesty. He was giving himself credit for all that was going good in his life. Well, later on, Nebuchadnezzar's life, uh, in, in his life, we see this great reversal. Uh, ESPN could have done a 30 for 30 on this, this of, of what, is, of what uh, happens next with Nebuchadnezzar. And this is Daniel 4.33. Uh, and so we're going to see this great reversal in this prideful man's life. Daniel 4.33, it says, Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men. And so the guy who was once sitting on the throne overruling men, now he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And so he's on his knees, on his face, eating grass with the oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles, like this unkempt man with his hair growing everywhere, uh, eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. God humbled him. God humbled him. Um, once again, friends, if we don't humble ourselves, God will humble us. He doesn't play about the pride thing. Uh, so giving ourselves credit for what we've done, uh, giving ourselves credit for what we deserve, uh, for what we built, and not giving God the glory puts a big target on our back uh, for being humble. God humbles the proud and raises up the lowly. Uh, but also, just want to put a little caveat on that. Just because God brings you low doesn't necessarily mean that you've... Uh, always done something wrong. Uh, sometimes he does it to grow us and mature us, uh, and he has to bring us low. And he cares about our humility uh, because that's really the only way we'll listen to him sometimes is, is if he brings us low. There's a song by a lady by the name of Tasha Cobbs. It's called Gracefully Broken. She talks about this concept of how God uh, breaks uh, to, to, to grow us. God breaks us to use us. God, God breaks us to restore us. And so uh, it's not always a brokenness because you've, doing, you've done something wrong, but God does uh, delight in the lowly. God does delight in those uh, that are humble. So there's glory uh, in lowliness. There's glory in being brought low. We said there's glory because God looks upon the lowly. Uh, there's glory because God humbles the proud and raises up the lowly. And finally, uh, there's glory because God knows what it means to be brought low. That's the hope of the Christmas season that God condescended to our level. He stepped out of the press box up there and got onto the field with us. Pulled a Jerry Jones for my Cowboys fans out there. All right, he, he steps down off of the, the, the owner's press box and steps onto the field and gets in the game. That's the God that you and I worship and serve. 
He says, I have to go down there. I have to get in there with them because that's the only way I'm going to be able to make this thing right is I, if I come down there myself and become a man and become one of them. And so we serve a God who knows what it means to be brought low. So he leaves his throne with all of his privileges. He leaves the heavenly realm altogether. He's born into poverty. He puts himself under the care of a teenage girl with no parenting experience. He puts on human skin. He was not attractive. Isaiah 53 says he had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was stoned by people for just being himself. He was rejected and despised by men. He had nowhere to lay his head. He knows what it means to be brought low. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He was given an unfair trial. He was called the devil by the religious leaders of his day. He was betrayed by his friends. Isaiah calls him a man of sorrows. On him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He was beaten and given 39 lashes. He was crucified on a cross between two thieves. He was thrown into a tomb. He rose three days later. He knows what it means to be brought low. And he also knows what's on the other side, which is victory. We serve a God who knows what it means to be brought low. Which means you and I worship a God who gets us. We worship a God who understands when it feels like nobody else gets it and nobody else understands. We worship and serve a God who gets us. He knows what it means to be brought low. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. God knows what it means to be brought low. You are not alone. He looks upon the lowly. So how do we live in light of this? How do we live in light of this truth? I recently had the privilege of seeing someone live this out in her final days of her life. Uh, Ashley's aunt, Julie Howard, uh, died from colon cancer uh, two weeks ago. And uh, I had the privilege of being there in those last few days. I had the privilege of being able to uh, get uh, by her side, by the bed, and hold her hand and pray. Uh, I got the privilege of being able to see her worship God uh, in her lowly moments. Um, Julie, who, who was a vibrant and outgoing and energetic woman, uh, was a shell of herself by the time that we made it to Oklahoma uh, to see her. Uh, the, the cancer had brought her low. She was brought low. Uh, she had lost weight. Uh, she had lost the ability to speak much. Uh, she couldn't even stand up uh, at this point by the time uh, that she made it there. Uh, but, but as we watched her fade for those past few days, uh, she did so with much dignity uh, and much grace. And it's one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, watching this woman of God fade into glory uh, with so much dignity uh, and so much grace. Uh, she didn't curse God. Uh, she didn't say that he owed her uh, more time. Uh, 
she didn't even make it about herself uh, and throw a pity party uh, during that moment. And uh, in those last few days, uh, her and my uncle Michael had this thing that they would do. All right, where uh, and this is the point. This was at the point where she couldn't talk anymore. Uh, her and my uncle Mike would have this thing uh, that they would do, um, where he'd say, "You're gonna be okay, right?" And at the point where she couldn't talk, she'd nod her head and say, "Yeah." And he'd say, "How do you know you're gonna be okay?" And she'd go. Because of the two nail-scarred hands of Jesus. She had so much faith in her Lord Jesus. I got the privilege of seeing someone be brought low and truly cling on to Jesus with all they had left. And I, I count the privilege that I got to see her be brought low. And uh, before she lost her voice, this is what she would say. She would say, don't pray me out of heaven. <laughs> She say that. She said, don't pray me out of heaven. She says, I'm going to a place where the only thing that is made by man are two nail-scarred hands. No more sin, no more pain. She said, I'm going to a place where the only thing made by man are two nail-scarred hands. She showed me how to be brought low. And the way that you do that, friends is to hold on to Jesus every step of the way. He's good. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. God, we're so thankful that though you sit up high, God, you still look low. God, we're so thankful that you get it. God, we're so thankful that we don't have to suffer alone. God, we're so thankful that you're with us. God, I specifically want to lift up anyone under the sound of my voice this morning who's suffering and who's been brought low by life. God, I pray that they would feel your presence in a real tangible way this morning, Lord God, that they would know that they're loved by you. God, use the pain uh, to draw them deeper to yourself. And God, as we wait in this Advent season, I pray, God, that uh, in the dark moments you would show us yourself, that we would see your glory, that we would still be able to see a glimpse of the light, that the darkness wouldn't overcome us. It's in your mighty and matchless sons, Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen.